Welcome, you are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney turned alchemist, and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Listen to conversations with courageous souls who've stepped out of their comfort zone and designed a new way of life. They'll share their experiences, wisdom and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. This morning, I'm thrilled to have Nadia Shaw with me to talk about her overseas life redesign. We met through the Cancun Expats Facebook group and I am very um, pleased to have you here this morning. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. Thank you for seeing me as part of your vision, having me here with you today. Thank you. <laughs> well, terrific. So uh, you told me you were Canadian. And uh, so why don't we start with how that uh, transition took place um, going from Canada to Mexico. And you can kind of start wherever you want to, whatever makes the most sense. Sure. So I, uh, born and raised in Canada, I did go to university for a year in England, but other than that, you know, very much a Toronto girl, um, downtown, lived many years in downtown Toronto, and I loved it while I was there. But, um, you know, I feel like I did a lot of the things that I was supposed to do in terms of like checking off boxes, making sure that I had my education. That was a really big deal to my family. Um, and so I did that. But also, I think about how, well, you know, it's a different thing when you're just doing what's in front of you to do, I guess. And then it's another thing when you start thinking more deeply about your life and your happiness and a more balanced perspective. I've always been a very free spirit. I always loved new experiences and new cultures and being open to the world. And that was reflected in part because of the people I surrounded myself with in Toronto. Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the world. So it was wonderful. I was always able to have lots of different kinds of people, lots of different kinds of ideas as well. So Toronto was really great for that in terms of being exposed to different ways of understanding the world. When I was growing up, when I think back, um, it was very much nurtured in me to be a rebel, to be an independent spirit. My family, my parents were feminists. So they, you know, really wanted me to, uh, well, actually my father, he wanted me to become prime minister of Canada. And he was very serious about that. Like he had a vision and a plan for my life. And I, I love it. <laughs> I love it too, right? But I think it's also part of like the, you know, the immigrant, uh, my parents were immigrants. So it's part of that immigrant dream, the work ethic, the ambition that's there. And so they really believed that anything was possible. And they raised me that way. And when I got older, I sort of, of course, had my own ideas. And I was a very, very rebellious teen. But then when I went to university, I started university uh, majoring in social justice as an undergrad. But halfway through, I started to feel like, you know, there's something else, you know, it just started to feel like, like there was something deeper, like it's one thing to learn about policy and about structures and about, uh, you know, all these different theories. 
but it's another thing to contemplate, like, why is the world the way that it is? And so halfway through my undergrad, I switched to philosophy. And astrology, because that's what I do, like, that's what people know me for. Like, if you look at it very literally, what I do is I have a a small multimedia company. That's the literal understanding of what I do. But um, what I'm known for is an astrologer. And astrology was just always a part of my life. I remember as a kid, just loving astrology books and being encouraged in that as well, because I had many family members who were like fans of astrology. They weren't astrologers, but they were fans of it. So it was just always kind of there. And then um, while I was an undergrad, I started going through these changes. I went through like personally very difficult times. And it was at that time that I saw how much astrology helped me during that time to understand and and to give hope that all things have their time, all things have their cycle, all things will come and go. So halfway through, I switched to philosophy. And then in my last year of university, I learned about this master's program in England. It was uh, one of the very first programs bringing astrology back into Western universities. It was with the Faculty of Religious Studies at the University of Kent. And I just knew I had to do that. And so I went and that was a really defining year for me because that showed me what it was like to be a citizen of the world, to be on the road, you know, to to take a plane every few months and uh, to know people, not just like know people whose families are from everywhere, but actually people from all over the world coming together, living in this space of the of the university campus and making friends from all over the world. Like actually they became my family. So it was this this wonderful awakening on so many levels, not only in terms of what I was studying, but also in terms of uh, the experiences I had and how it defined me. So then after university was over, I came back home and I just was very determined to have my own business. Like that was my ambition. And, you know, I remember my father was saying to me, like, you know, you have a master's degree, you could get a really good job, you could get a teaching job, you can make good money, you know, and, but I knew, like, in my soul, you know, I knew that, no, there was a different path, like something within me, some vision, some voice had to come forward. And I just trusted that, you know, and I I remember the first years of my business, there was a lot of sacrifice, there was so much like, pouring myself into my work, wanting something to happen, wanting to make this be something, even though I didn't know what that thing was. And then fast forward a few years later, five years later, and I come to Mexico for the end of the Mayan calendar at the end of 2012. Of course, that was a huge event for astrologers, right? So many people all over the world were excited about this. So I come to, to, to Mexico and I remember arriving in Cancun and I was home like that. It was like a feeling like I knew when I was in England, I had a professor who was Canadian, Patrick Curry. And I remember him telling me that he came to England from Canada and he didn't realize that he was looking for home until he arrived in England and he knew he was home. And that I remembered that, like, because that's what it felt like. It felt like being home. And I didn't speak the language. 
I didn't know anything about the culture. I just was meeting people new for the first time. First visit, right? You'd never. Yeah, yeah. very first visit. Yeah. But I knew that I was home. And I remember going back the first day that I went back. And I remember being in my apartment and just being filled with the knowing that I had to go back. I had to learn the language. And I didn't know how long I was going to be there. But I just knew that there was some karmic connection, you could call it. Sure. That meant I had to be there. And so I had Lady Gaga tickets. And so I waited six weeks. And the day after the Lady Gaga concert, I was, uh, I was off and I came to Cancun. And that's it. That's been my story now. Seven and a half years later, I'm still here. Wow. Well, a yeah. couple of things I, I want to um, bring up here. I really am impressed that you got a university astrology program because, you know, I'm American there. I mean, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, astrology, they poo poo it. It's woo woo stuff. And even, you know, some, I remember back, um, you know, who was it? Nancy Reagan or something had an astrologer and they just, crucified her about that just like oh that's just so weird and blah 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 and so how what a gift to be able to have that sort of you know traditional university stamp of approval on what you were doing it must have given you a great deal of confidence being in that environment as opposed to somebody like just learning it on their own or or something like that do you, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, that, that's a really great insight. I never thought about, about it in terms of the confidence. But yeah, I think like considering what I was doing from an academic perspective, knowing why I'm doing what I'm doing, like not just understanding the techniques, the techniques are there. And, and of course, they can be learned by anybody. But to really um, have reverence for this practice and the very deep roots of it and the very broad shoulders on which I stand. I mean, normally we don't think of uh, people I know, like I said, my undergrad, social justice and philosophy, but this idea of bringing astrology back into Western universities is a, a very recent, a more recent phenomenon. Certainly it was only the second year back in 20, 2007 it's only the second year that it had been fully back in Western universities with just a small handful, two in the U.S. at the time and two in the U.K. And it was when I was an undergrad, I remember every single year um, we had to read Plato. Right. And we came to understand that so much, arguably so much of Western thought rests on the shoulders of Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. But what we don't learn always, unless you're taking a program like I took, is that these were deeply mystical, deeply spiritual men. And so in particular, I'm thinking about Plato. He has a work called Timaeus. And in Timaeus, he presents um, a mystical understanding of the creation of the cosmos. And I was so fascinated by uh, being introduced to this book and I poured into this work of his and it actually ended up being uh, an integral part of one of the books I ended up writing. And so one of the books is The Body and the Cosmos. And this book basically takes Plato's ideas and applies it to an astrological cosmos, an astrological zodiac. So in this, uh, in Timaeus, he talks about how 
every part of our physical body, every part of our lived experience is intimately connected to the cosmos, is connected to divine energies. And so it was me like sort of using that as a jumping off point um, and to apply it and, and make it relevant to astrologers. So that's like kind of a unique contribution that I've been able to make in addition to the other books that I've written as well. I feel like the other thing with my program was that it was the academic study of omens and astrology is a, an important part of understanding how omens have been understood. This idea that uh, we're getting signs and it is uh, telling us what the will of a higher power of the gods or of God is and aligning ourselves with it. And, and we see this as a phenomenon historically, certainly religiously. We see this as a phenomenon, a repeated theme again and again. And so we looked at, like, we studied uh, the major religions in the Bible, in uh, Jewish mysticism, Islamic mysticism, Sufism, um, even before these major religions, like we looked at ancient Greece a lot. And so it was just really great to have that grounding to say, like, you know, I know what I'm doing and I know where I come from. That alone, as you said, you use the word confidence. That confidence is, um, it's strong in me. And so, you know, I think the thing is, no matter what you do, if you're living your truth, then there's always going to be opinions about it. But at the end of the day, the only thing, and I've really come to understand this so much living in Mexico, the only thing that really matters is living your life in a way that allows you to be at peace with yourself. That's Amen. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was something I really came to understand when I came here. When I was in Toronto, you know, Toronto is so great. The energy, I mean, it's great how cerebral it is because like intellectual energy is a great equalizer. And so societies that have strong intellectual energy, you tend to see a lot of equality uh, gender equality, racial equality, because the priority is placed on your ideas and what you have to contribute. And that's a wonderful thing and a very empowering thing. And in, and again, I'm thinking about Canada. It makes education so much more accessible. You know, the fact yes. that I was had the privilege, I'm sure you know this as well, living in Mexico. I am positive that you have had the experiences I have had of meeting people who are absolutely brilliant, you know, who should have careers in, in academia, but because of where they were born, because of be, being born into poverty, they just never had those opportunities to pursue higher education um, in the way that we like sort of take for granted, you know? And um, I, I had that deep gratitude when I came here to have that realization. But the thing is, when you live in Toronto or in places where there's a lot of intellectual energy, you become kind of disconnected from the body, you know? So you're so used to living up here and it's easy to forget that there's more of you. And then you come to a culture like Mexico and it is such an embodied culture, right? Like everywhere you go, you see these shrines to the Guadalupe, which is, you know, it, it, its roots go way back, these goddess shrines, this understanding of, of life itself and the body itself being 
as something divine, something special, hearing the music all the time, people dancing freely, the food being intense, like all of this is about awakening the body, awakening the senses. And it made me realize that I didn't have to wait, right? Whatever I thought about where I was in terms of my career, in terms of my success, I didn't have to wait for anything. I could enjoy life right now. I could find balance right now. And that was one of the big epiphanies I found moving um, out of my comfort zone and moving into a whole different culture as well was that sense of awakening that took place. And it's interesting because that then wanting balance, wanting to enjoy my life, wanting to go dancing, which is something I like really never did in Toronto because I was always so busy working, wanting to go dancing ended up actually helping my career, actually helping because it brought a different energy to what I did. It brought an energy of gratitude. It brought an energy of peace. It brought an energy of joy. And from that space, from that place, everything else flows just so much more easier. Mm-hmm. Vibrancy so I, comes to, yeah, and then you have this beautiful painting behind you, but the, with the vibrant colors. And, and I just see that vibrant energy as you speak about that, right? That, and the, the human bonds here are just so nurturing, I find, Tom and I have found. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right now we are quarantined or we're we're social distancing, right? That's what it is. It's not actually a quarantine. And I miss my family so, so much. I mean, I love being a jet setter. I love airplanes and airports. I visit my family in Canada four times a year, at least four or five times. And that's in addition to traveling other places, going to conferences around the world, speaking engagements around the world. There are a lot of other cities that I really love, but Cancun is always a place that I come back to. I feel at home here. Even with that sense of, of distancing, right? I, when I see stories about what has been happening in the US, what has been happening in Canada, it makes me go, you know, if there's anywhere you're gonna social distance, it's probably better here, even though the beaches are closed and everything. It's just such a different psychology. Yes. I mean, there's plenty of toilet paper. That, that, that was the thing. There was never a shortage of toilet paper because the, the psyche is so different here. The psychology is different. And I think that there's this sense of in, in some other places or maybe in the West, because the individual is the nucleus of the culture, You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to look after yourself. And that in turn leads to these types of things like hoarding. You just don't see that here because the center is not the individual. The center of the culture is family, right? It's each other. It's family and community. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so because of that, you know you're going to be okay because you're connected to others. Like that's the underlying belief, which is why there hasn't been hoarding. There hasn't been you know, buying tons and tons of toilet paper and stuff. So when I think about that, I think, okay, maybe I'll stay put. Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't miss my family so much. I I wish I could tell you how much it's a struggle. Not to see them. Yeah. But... Well, we just, I'll just interject. We, um, you know, we're on Isla Mujeres. Um, We took, uh, finally, they changed the car ferry so we can go to Cancun and come back the same day, which we couldn't Mm -hmm. for a while. There was only one each day in each direction. So yesterday we went and we went to Home Depot uh, and Costco and 
uh, Soriana. And it was amazing. I mean, every single person wore a mask. They had the, you know, uh, concrete marked, you know, they only let so many people in at once. They were wiping down all the carts. They were handing out hand sanitizer. And, you know, Tom and I were just like, wow, they, they got this wired here and nobody's, yeah. you know, protesting that, oh, I, I don't want to wear a mask and any of this nonsense. And it's, it, you're right. It's like, like the, the energy is we're all in this together. We're all going to take care of each other to make sure we can just get rid of this thing as fast as possible. And I'm really sad for my country to watch um, this be politicized, this health matter. And um, yeah, Tom and I, you know, you know, express gratitude every single day that we're here. And uh, I was supposed to go, we were going to take two months and drive um, up to Minnesota. It was my 40 year class reunion. August 1st, it's been canceled. That's the last place I really want to go right now because it just seems like it's, it's, it, you don't have that, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, we need to take care of each other um, energy. And it's sad to see that, that taking place. Mm -hmm. I, I think here, I know that, for example, my friend was telling me in Toronto that I said to her, like, you know, because I'm, I, I keep booking tickets to go home and then I keep canceling them and I keep postponing them. And my grandmother died a couple of weeks ago and it was so heartbreaking to me and I wanted to be with my family, you know, but I was, there was so many other things to think about. Like my parents are elderly. I don't want to make them sick. And even if I go, I have to be quarantined and all of that stuff. Right. But you know, I was thinking about, uh, and I said to my friend, like, you know, in Toronto, are people wearing face shields? Are they wearing masks? She was like, she hardly sees people wearing masks. Nobody's wearing face shields. And I thought, wow, I see people walking down the street alone wearing face masks here. Yeah. So of course, you're going to feel like you should wear a face mask as well, that you should care as well. And um, that sense of caring for each other is... Uh, is a beautiful thing. And I haven't seen anybody be rude to like people in the stores, but I've never seen that really. No, no I've never seen that. No, yeah. just the, the, you can get some ugly gringos, uh, tourists, uh, occasionally that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. Very annoying. I hate that. But the I locals, you know, those of us that live here, you, you know, you know better. Um, that you just don't. Yeah, do exactly. Doesn't get yeah. you anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but so, also you learn that lesson. Like um, that's not why we're here. You know, right. I hope, I would hope, we're here to, to, to be in a, a different space, a space of peace, and you can't help but be gracious when you're in a space of peace. You know, you're not here to, to do that kind of stuff. Let we hope. Right. Well, um, I'm going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castillito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit castellitocaribe.com www.castillitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. 
Integrity Vacation Property Management. Trust, truth, results. From buyer's representative services to rental market analysis, staging, marketing, and full-service property management, achieving your goals is our top priority. Visit our website at www.integrityvpm.com and get our free guide, Self-Manage or Hire, a property owner's checklist of issues to consider. Contact us for a free consultation to see if we can help you maximize the return on your investments. Integrity VPM, raising the bar in vacation property management. Okay, and I'm back again with Nadia Shah and uh, just enjoying the conversation so much. So I'm, I'm really curious, um, you don't know this about me, but my undergraduate degree was in anthropology and um, I love the Mayan culture as well. And wow. I would love if you take me to 2012 and mm-hmm. talk about that occurrence and like we're pat now we're eight years past that. And, and can you shed some light on that for me? (laughs) Sure. So basically with the Mayan calendar, it was about, it wasn't so much that of course it wasn't that the world was ending. That wasn't the point. The point was a major cycle for humanity was ending. And so according to the Mayans, there are several calendars and they kind of work together. You know, you can think about it in terms of like a clock, you know how a clock will have all kinds of wheels, but they're sort of moving together and integrated. Yeah. So there's some cycles that will last a day, for example. There's a lunar cycle that, that takes 28 and a half days. So they have these several cycles, including 260-day cycles, cycles that last hundreds of years, cycles that last thousands of years. And so what was happening was several cycles were ending at the same time. And it was happening under the light of a very uh, powerful eclipse, a celestial phenomenon on uh, December 21st, which is also the winter solstice. And so there were all these things and where the eclipse was taking place is, a, is what's called the galactic center. It's sort of considered the womb of the world. So all of these things together signified this, you know, hugely phenomenal rare astrological events along with their calendars some of them astrological most of them there's these several calendars ending at one time it was like the end of one cycle of humanity the beginning of another for some they say that the one of the big cycles that ended was an 8000 year cycle wow. others say 2000 year cycles but we know that there were several ending at the same time and so according to the mayans We were finishing one cycle of exploring uh, an understanding of the physical, of manifestation, uh, of the practical reality. And we were now going to go into a cycle of unity consciousness that can best be described that way, of understanding the integration. So for the Mayans, there were several uh, types of major spiritual lessons that humanity would go through. It wasn't that it was just one or the other. There are like more subtle spiritual lessons and larger cycles that civilization will go through. And then there is that sense of uh, these really big ones that happen as well. And so this was like one transition. There have been other transitions. This was another transition to a whole new way. And so it was us now going into a unity consciousness, but because it's like a thousands of year cycle, it's slow. We're at the beginning, very beginning. Yeah, exactly. So we're like kind of transitioning into it. It's happening kind of slowly. And so 
it was a very powerful symbol of beginning for a lot of people, astrologers and otherwise were looking at this and thinking, I remember when I was walking up on the day, I was walking up to the to Chichen Itza. I was there on the grounds. I'd camped out on the grounds the night before. And I was walking up. Uh, and I'll tell you a little story about that in a moment. But I was walking up and on the way, I mean, it was so busy. It was so crazy. And I remember some young woman, she turned to me while I was still far away from it. I was walking and she said, it's the end of the world up there. Like she literally said it like that, like made it sound like, it was so crazy, but there was a lot of energy. But I'll tell you an interesting story because I had gone there the day before as well. Like I'd been hanging out in that area. I'd gone there the day before. I remember while I was there, I, I met somebody who spoke English and she was, uh, you know, sitting there near the, near the ground, near the main temple. Like when you see a pyramid, a pyramid is a temple. Like that's sure. what you're looking at. Absolutely. And so she was there at the, at the grounds of the temple of the pyramid. And so I started talking to her and she knew a lot. And at the time I had a web TV uh, series that I'm sort of stepping back into now. It was called Synchronicity Web TV. And so I interviewed her and I took a whole lot of footage and stuff. Okay. She was lovely. Like she was so insightful and she talked a lot about, you know, Mayan spirituality and Mayan culture. And it was a beautiful experience to have, like to, to be able to share that with her. But it was just, you know, one of those passing things. It wasn't like I connected to her afterwards or anything. Fast forward, okay? 2018, I am speaking at a major astrology conference in Chicago. And this woman comes up to me after hearing me talk afterwards, she comes up to me and she goes to me, I was that person. Who oh was my there. God. I was like, what? Oh my God. And she was telling me how so many people have saw that and recognized her and knew her and have come up to her randomly and said, Hey, you were on Nadia Shaw's YouTube channel and stuff. And I just, I was so happy about that for a bunch of reasons. I was happy because like, on the one hand, it's like a very powerful reminder that this land has this, these continuous blessings, these continuous culture, these continuous connections, all of it, you know, how it continually unfolds uh, is very powerful. But then also to feel like, wow, I gave something to that she's reaped from this. Like, I felt like, wow, I got this interview from her. I, I was able to put out something that mattered to me, but it ended up being something that mattered to her too you know, and that the blessings were continuing as a result. So it was just, a, it was such a lovely moment, but it, it's these moments that end up affirming that I am where I'm supposed to be, you know, sure. here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, so I guess, you know, at the beginning of a cycle, so I have a, a good friend in Los Angeles who's a numerologist and she obviously is very in tune with, you know, the, the heavens as well is a big, big part of it. But she talks about cycles, 2,500 year cycles and all these things, which, you know, as human beings, it's like, I, I, I think a lot of times our mind can't even grasp, right, that, that long of cycles. But I know when she talks about uh, that, the transitions that, yeah, it's, it's bumpy. It's, mm -hmm. It can be very bumpy um, going through the, the change. Do you want to talk about that a, a little bit? I, you, you kind of feel like maybe that's what's happening or what? Well, I think about astrologically. I mean, just if I, and I practice Western astrology, modern Western astrology. And I think about it from that astrological perspective. It's such a huge year. 
and not just 2020 certainly is a huge year, but I look at the, the coming years as well. And there is this sense that we are moving into, we're moving out of, from a Western astrology perspective, we're moving out of the age of Pisces and into right. the age of Aquarius. And so we've kind of been in transition for the last like 240 years, because these are 2000 year cycles. So we've slowly been stepping into it for over 240 years now, but it is going to be 2023, 2024, that we are fully in the age of Aquarius. And these are very different energies, but they're both energies with very strong uh, dualities to them, uh, with strong uh, dichotomies to them. And so with the age of Pisces, when you think about Pisces, and I know if you're not an astrologer familiar with astrological language, we can understand uh, Pisces as an energy of compassion, an energy of unity. You think about the figures that emerged at the, the beginning of the age of Pisces. We had the Buddha. We had Jesus Christ. These were all figures of universal love and compassion and universal acceptance and uh, very powerful spiritual figures. And we th think about the lessons of the last 2000 years, how we as humanity have navigated this journey of faith, right? Faith has been a big part of it. And sometimes faith can encourage us to be incredibly loving and incredibly focused on these higher principles of, and I think it's a, a moral good to, to think of us as, as each other's keeper, right? Like to see ourselves reflected in each other, that sense of universal unity right. is this high principle. But then we also have with that, that sense of uh, misusing that energy as well. So we saw these incredible communities of compassion, but we also saw things like cults, right? We saw the rise of, of um, monasteries and isolation in order to connect with spirit. But we also saw people connecting with a different kind of energy uh, and being so in that revelry and taking different kinds of actions. So now we are on this precipice of shifting into an energy that is much more intellectual. It's not so feeling oriented. It's much more technological, certainly. It is not so much about what what you feel, but it's about rationality, right? And it's not so much about religious community, it's about inner authority. So there are good things and bad things that come with each of them. It's not gonna be this time of universal unity because again, there's that strong dichotomy to it. As much as the energy of Aquarius is about humanity, it is also about anarchy. As much as it is about considering the collective, it is also highly individualistic. As much as it is about being plugged in and, and, and being uh, engaged with technology, it's also living off the grid. So we have, again, this, this new age starting, but with a very strong dichotomy. And so we are now in this time of transition. And a lot of what I'm seeing is fear. Yes. That's what's coming up. And what's happening right now is, you know, we're in the middle. Again, if you want to talk about big cycles, we are having several huge astrological events. We start the year with, with an event. We started the year with an event. The last time that happened was 500 years ago. Wow. And that, that was the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. yeah and yeah. if you think about, yeah, the Protestant Reformation, essentially what it was, was it eliminated the hierarchy that yes. we saw 
yeah, within within the Catholic paradigm. And once that hierarchy is eliminated, it's the beginning of the end of royalty, you know? Yes. It, it, it profoundly shifts the understanding of self, the, the Western world and its understanding of the individual as the nucleus of society is rooted in the Protestant Reformation because that's about you alone get to decide what sacred text means and your relationship with the divine is decided by yourself. This was revolutionary. This yeah. was a leap in human consciousness for that to take place. And so that time as well, it wasn't just the Protestant Reformation, but we also had the dancing plague at the time. We had a huge plague happening then. 500 years ago. Interesting. So now, yeah. So now here we are. We've had this, you know, for lack of a better word, plague, right? Right. And all of us are being told, stop, be still, just be still, yeah. sit with your stuff. And so you're seeing on a collective level, we're seeing what's really inside of people, all their fear, all their guck, all their resistance, right? All of it is coming out. Yes. We're seeing it. It's right on the surface. And it's honestly heartbreaking sometimes, yes. you know, it is heartbreaking because you can see what it is that people have been afraid to look at within themselves. Yeah. What's hard for them, what they don't want to acknowledge within themselves, within their childhoods. You can see it, right? They're projecting all this stuff out and you know, it's rooted in something deeper. You can see it so clearly. And that's not to dismiss that for some people, it really is about survival, like not the survival we tell ourselves, but actual survival, like in Mexico, for example, you don't work, you don't eat. And there are a lot of people who are really suffering here. You know, in Canada, it's a lot better. We have social programs in place that are preventing that kind of poverty, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But it is um, this sense of all of us being asked to be still and everything it's bringing up. But here's the thing, the year was going to end with another uh, celestial phenomenon, and it is called the Great Conjunction. And even though it does occur every 20 years, the last time it occurred in the sign of Aquarius was 600 years ago. Wow. And that was the printing press. That's, that was the very beginning, the seed of the printing press. And this is considered very special. When there was a Great Conjunction in the sign of Pisces, that was uh, the star of Bethlehem. Ah. That was, you know, and here in, in Mexico and in the Latin world, you may know that the day of the kings is a bigger oh, deal than Christmas, huge. right? Yes. And the, the three wise men who are the kings that are being celebrated were astrologers. They observed astrological phenomenon. They interpreted it. They knew what it meant. They followed it with action. Like that's one of the, you know, very clear signs of how important astrologers have been to the unfoldment of, of Western culture, right? Because you think about this origin story of Jesus Christ being so important, so validating. Right. Uh, the validity of Jesus Christ itself is asserted through astrological phenomenon. And yeah, so it's so interesting, right? But yes, here we celebrate the day of the kings is also the day of astrologers. So the astrology community in the Latin world celebrates it as the day of astrologers. I within didn't know our, that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within our subculture, within our community. So yes, we're going to end the year with this very powerful symbol, though. It's happening in the sign of Aquarius. And that is going to be the seed, the beginning of on the one hand, it is going 
completely paperless. Yes. But I feel like a little bit later on in 2023, we're going to have a lot more fear arise because we're going to have Neptune at the very end of the sign of Pisces just hanging out. A whole like that age of Pisces is going out with a bang or a hurrah, right? It is not going out quietly. It is kicking and screaming. It does not want to go. Right. But those experiences are going to be necessary for us to embrace the age of Aquarius and the detachment the healthy detachment that can come with that. But we're going to start dipping into it um, by the time we get to 2023, 2024. By the end of the decade, I feel like what we have thought of as the information age is like minuscule. Minuscule, it's like nothing. It'll be seen as, you know, like, uh, like stone carvings compared to what it is going to be. And it is this great conjunction that happens at the end of this year that's going to be the transition from, from paper to paperless. So years before, at the time, if you read the symposium by Plato, in the symposium, there's this dialogue where people are debating and upset of this new technology called a pen. The pen was a brand new technology. And all the things that people have said about how how the internet and everything the internet is doing, they were saying about pens, that it was going to ruin your minds, you wouldn't remember anything, you would have no need to, it was going to, you know, your faculties, it was going to age you faster, like all of those things, right? It wow. would make people um, unable to focus, all of those things that were said about the pen in the symposium with Plato were said about this transition to paper and then were said again about the transition to the digital. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to be fully immersed in it in a way that we just do have not known. We're at the Can't very even imagine. Yeah. 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 But it's really exciting. It's almost like the ways that it's going to be haven't even been invented yet. The invention that is going to allow that is going to start at the very end of this year. And then you add to it this year, we've got these retrogrades, what we call retrogrades, which is basically intensifying energies, having to look at the past, having to look within ourselves, uh, very strong um, energies of, of passion that are going to arise in people as well. So there's, it's such a rare astrological year, but it is a part of a larger transition that we are going through as humanity, really. Um, like, and sounds it's like a, a rite of passage, yes? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Thank you for saying that. I am going to use that. It is the rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah. This You think about how many uh, rites of passage there are in myth where people had to be still, they had to sit, they had to go away, they had to meditate, right? They Face had to be the in fears, right? They'd go off yes. in scary situations yes. and have to sit with themselves. and Yes, yeah. like the Buddha, Yes. Right. The Buddha, he had this, if you know the story, he had, uh, he basically had an epiphany. He was a young man. He had an epiphany where he realized that there was all this suffering in the world and he felt like he had to do something about it. When he was born with his, we have his astrology chart, actually. We can see. Oh, wow. Buddha. Yeah, it's really cool. But we know the exact time because all of it was documented. And when he was born, his father was told that your son will either be a good king who carries your legacy in this realm, or he will be a great king for all of eternity and all of time. And his father oh, didn't sure. want that. <laughs> I know, me too, right? <laughs> because, but he knew that if, if he was to embrace the path of being a great king, he would leave the realm, like his father's realm would fall, 
but he would be so important to the world. And his father didn't want that. He wanted the realm to be there and uh, tried to resist it, tried to protect him. It didn't work because karma and fate have a path of their own. And then he realizes that he needs to figure it out. And he goes off into the woods and he finds these, um, these uh, people who deprave and deprive themselves. They don't eat. The only thing they eat is bird droppings and they starve and they just meditate all, to, all the time. And then he had this epiphany that there was a middle way. He got this stimulus. He heard somebody saying something and he realized there's a middle way. And it's the path of moderation ultimately is what it's come to be called. And that was the path to pursue it. So he took himself up, he ate, he got himself clean and everything. And then he said, okay, I'm going to sit under this Bodhi tree. Like once he'd taken care of his physical needs and he knew that he was back to normal, I guess you could say like a balanced chemistry within, he said, I'm going to sit under this Bodhi tree and I'm not going to get up until I've reached enlightenment. And it was while under that Bodhi tree that he had to face his own ego, all that sense, that voice that said, no, you can have all the riches in the world. People are going to worship you. They're going to love you. All of that. And he had to release it, to see it as an illusion. Mm -hmm. And it was also in that space where he realized and he spoke of the power of the present, mm -hmm. that it is in the present that we release ourselves from suffering. All the things that cause suffering is that desire, is that wanting, is that approval. But yeah. ultimately, all that matters is that you're here in breath and that you're honoring the path of moderation that allows you to be present here. And that is a, such a powerful story when you think about like that's that's so such a journey of the age of Pisces itself. And all of us in our own way are going through that right now. Well, I was just going to say, when you were talking about the extremes, the, you know, what came to mind was balance, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's what we need to learn is, is the balance um, between those, those conflicting um, dualities. Yes. Yeah, exactly. To find, and uh, the balance may very well be acceptance. Acceptance is very powerful. Now, again, I know if, if people are worried about survival, it's easier said than done. But a lot of what is lending to frustration is ego, it's arrogance, um, it's, it's needs that are not or that are ultimately not about what's real about reality. I'm reminded of um, last year, late last year, my mom said to me, she said, you know, I've never had a Louis Vuitton bag. I want a Louis Vuitton. And I said, mom, don't you worry. You're going to get a Louis Vuitton bag. And so I got it for her. She was so happy to have that Louis Vuitton bag. All this pandemic stuff comes up. And okay, fine. You got a Louis bag. Wonderful. But that's not what matters, right? Right. It's like, and we know it and we know it and it's okay that it doesn't matter. It's okay to enjoy what you have, enjoy where you are, to be grateful. If you happen to be in a house right now that has a, 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 a big screen TV like I do, that is so, such a beautiful thing to be able to enjoy right now. But at the end of the day, this pandemic, I believe the gift of it. And I, again, I know that's, that's easier said than what may be the actual experience of people who are suffering. There's real suffering because of this. And I absolutely want to honor that. But the real gift is we're getting to see what really matters to us and in our lives, right? Absolutely. Getting to 
the, the acknowledgement of fear, the willingness to go deeper with it is a, it can be a gift. It can be one way that at least this isn't going to be time lost and time in pain, but in some way you've tried to make yourself a little bit better because of it. And it just makes me realize like how much my parents matter to me, how much the relationships, the connections, the friendships, like the love, my dog, like how much that matters, that that's what's real, you know? So, and that's a powerful realization to have. Well, um, the, the, just the value of a hug. Um, yes. I have a, a friend here on the island. She was over Thank here. Um, she came for a visit. She'd been, you know, uh, self-quarantining or whatever. We've all been ma- on mass or whatever. And she went to leave and I gave her a, a hug and she almost cried. And she said, are we allowed to do that? And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, I understand. You know, and, and I missed it as much. I have my husband, of course, but I mean, <laughs> thank goodness. <Yeah. laughs> I get regular hugs, but I just, I don't know, just something, it was a, uh, something that, that just was your soul longs for that, you know, yeah. and yeah, absolutely. That. And I think we didn't realize how much it matters. Yeah. We had, we'd taken it for granted, like human touch, human presence. Um, I understand that people are feeling stir crazy. I understand, like I would do anything right now to be with my parents and we've talked about it so much and we've made plans and then I chicken out and they say, okay, you're going to be in your room. You'll quarantine. You'll be in the dining room and then we won't go to the dining room. We won't go here, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I don't know if I can resist staying away from them, but God, I miss them. I miss hugging them. They've said like, when they see me, they're going to spray me down with antibacterial stuff. And at least we can get a hug in or something, but yeah, it's a tough one, you know. It's hard. It's yeah. yeah. Wow, we've got got into some pretty deep stuff here. That's okay. I love That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. So, um, before we wrap wrap up, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I know you have written a couple of other books. Can yes, you tell yeah. us briefly about those? And then I'm gonna definitely include links. You know, I'll get get your Thank contact you. information and and I assume you do individual reading or Um, or people I have well I have a membership on my website I have a YouTube channel there's all kinds of ways if people want to reach me there's all kinds of things and ways fabulous yeah it like literally now if you put Nadia Shaw in any spelling in any way I come up it says Nadia Shaw youtuber I was like I was shocked when I googled myself because I don't I'm not in the habit of googling myself But I happened to do it the other day, and I was shocked. Oh, Google knows who I am. There's the, there I am, Nadia Shah, Google YouTuber. Okay, all my books showed up and everything, so that was Perfect. pretty cool. I just uh, I really enjoyed spending time with you. Very quickly, I can tell you I have a bunch of books that you can get anywhere books are sold. My first book, Astrology Realized, it goes through the historical and philosophical development of astrology in the Western world. And oh that's, that was written right after that first part was written right after grad school. So I had it all fresh in my mind. Oh, yeah. I'm, good time yeah, I'm quoting <laughs> Kant and Cicero and I mean, just all the philosophers and stuff are showing up in there. So that was a lot of fun. And then it, it has uh, an introduction to learning how to read your own birth chart. Okay. So that was a really great thing to write. And then my second book was The Body and the Cosmos that I mentioned earlier, exploring the astrological, 
philosophical and physical connection. And it has like um, this exploration of Plato and applying it to astrology. And then it has a lot of meditations in it as well. So I'm a big believer in meditation. And so it has that incorporated into it so that you can actually focus on and understand this connection that Plato was talking about by understanding the astrology and the symbolism. And it includes exercises as well, like everything from weightlifting exercises to yoga exercises. It's got all of that in there. So, so it was a lot of fun to write. And wow. I, I, I love that I was able to do that. And then my third book is called Prayers to the Sky. And Prayers to the Sky is sort of like an introduction to astrological magic. And so it's a, a way of understanding a relationship with the cosmos. So the subtitle is to know and to love the astrological planets more deeply. And so it actually is about forging a relationship with the sky, understanding the planets, their origin stories, the mythology to them, learning about their mythology so that we can really understand how they are speaking through us. Because it is ultimately, I mean, I'm reminded of, uh, Ibn Arabi was a, an early Sufi mystic and astrologer, and I actually wrote my MA dissertation on him. He was so influential to my work, his understanding of mystical astrology and astrology as a mystical tool. And he believed, like one of the ideas he's really known for is called the magnificent breath. And it's this idea that we are the living embodiment of the divine that every emotion, every experience, every elation, every sadness, every joy that we experience, it is as if the lungs of God expand because we lived. And it was such a powerful way to understand the astrological chart and to understand our own lives as well. And so what this book does, I hope, is return us to that reverence of understanding how you are a divine expression, how the chart isn't just something on paper, but it's breathing through you. It's living through you. So that's the point of it. It has lots of practical things in there too. It has prayers in there as well. And then my fourth book is called The Universe is Wise and Loving, The Notes of the Moon. Now that's a lot more oriented towards people who are actually students of astrology. It's talking about a specific technique and interpretation, but at least the beginning part why I say the universe is wise and loving, I really dive into it. So I've got that, that little bit of a philosophical assertion in the beginning where I talk about how the planets speak to what you want, why you want it, how you go about getting it. But then we have these karmic symbols in the, in the chart that speak to where your soul has traveled, your past life journey, uh, what wow. you're cultivating in this life. Yeah. So that's the fourth book. And then as I mentioned earlier, I've got a couple more books coming out before the year is over. I'm kind of on a roll right now and it feels really good, you know, to be in that creative energy, that creative juice. Yes. It's really exciting. Like that's the point, right? That's the point of doing this is so that we get to live our lives on our own terms. That's yes. it. And so it is about living my truth, being myself, fully myself without compromise. That is what has always been a motivating factor and a motivating force. And I feel like it wasn't until I moved to Cancun that I was actually able to live that fully, to truly embody it. Um, and it's just such a privilege. It's, it's such a joy to feel free and open to the world, even in times of a pandemic, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think back, um, I was living in Southern California at the time. Um, this was probably, uh, at least 20 years ago. I remember the first time I got my birth chart and being told what it meant. And it was, you're going to laugh because my response at the time was, Oh good. It's not my fault because I felt like I was so different from my family and you know, I, the, 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 whether it was the personality traits or the interests or whatever. And when I heard all this information that just resonated so strongly with me, I remember just feeling relief. Like, you know, I am who I am for a reason. And it was, I found that very freeing. So I mean, I, it was so valuable to me to get that information and it really is, um, you know, Gail talks about uh, numerology being the blueprint, right. That you came here with. And that is definitely a big part of it, right? That's, that's our, our blueprint. And to, to not know that you're kind of flying blind, right? I mean, we can that's a great way to put it yeah but i i do think it's incredibly validating but more than that what's really powerful about it is that it affirms sometimes very quietly unassumingly a very powerful philosophical assertion that we are intimately connected with everyone and everything you know right up to the cosmos we have this intimate connection playing out and that worldview, even if you're not conscious of engaging it, it changes everything. It changes how you understand the world around you, how you understand yourself, how you move through the world. You can't help but change when you have that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I love being a part of that. Like I, I, I wrote daily horoscopes for Canadian newspapers for three years. That was my dream at the time to do it. And then I did it and I was like, oh, I think something else is calling me. And I ended up going in the YouTube direction. But, you know, it was a powerful thing to know that I was asserting that without people even realizing it. And so when you have your actual chart done, it's that much more powerful. It's that much more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Very. so glad you had that experience. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, I think you touched on something and, and it's almost like there is sort of that inner knowing whether our conscious mind wants to admit it or not, but it's almost like when that layer of the onion gets peeled back, it's almost like your soul just kind of goes, okay, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it is a release. So I, uh, I can't say enough about how um, valuable that is. It has been for me in my life. Um, so bravo for the work you do. I, uh, I know it's it's hugely val- valuable to people, and people need it now. Um, it definitely can um, help some of those fears subside, I believe. Yeah, because all things shift and move and change. All these phases ultimately are temporary. And that's one thing I really love about astrology, too, is that it reminds us that. 
So, but thank you. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> well, thank for you, my dear. Thank me as part of your vision and inviting me. That was just so lovely. And you're just a lovely person. And it was just so nice to talk to you. Well, and I can't wait to get together in person. In person. It maybe will we'll happen. Give a hug yeah. one day. <laughs> it will, we will get there. As the, the Queen of England said, we will meet again. And we will. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit www.overseasliferedesign.com. We'd also love for you to become part of our OLR community on Facebook. Thank you for listening.